This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 63, Comic Reviews for the week of March 20th. Welcome back to the show. This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 63. We're looking at comic reviews for the week of March 20th. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and thanks once again for joining us for uh, another episode of Comic Shenanigans. Uh, So a lot of comics came out this past week. Um... And uh, I think actually I ended up being able to read and then I'm going to be able to do reviews on a lot of them. Um, I'm going to keep some of them quite short though just because I like to keep these episodes around 40 to 45 minutes. Uh, So some of these reviews will be a little bit faster than normal, a little bit uh, more brevity, but um, hopefully it'll still be a good episode. So first up we have the end of Grant Morrison's run in Action Comics, which is Action Comics number 18. Um, Grant Morrison's run in Action Comics is... Uh, kind of a hot topic for some people because um, it's been just so all over the place. I feel like at times it was very clear and concise what was trying to happen at, at the beginning anyway. I mean, when the run started, it was much more like street level and then Grant Morrison went Grant Morrison, if that makes any sense. I mean, you started out with, you know, Superman wearing a t-shirt and his cape and he's just kind of doing stuff and then you quickly move into something that's quite different and very crazy um, that being said, like, I, I didn't really know this, this all that much. I thought that it was trying to be more complex and crazy than it needed to be. And as a result, I just felt lost. Um, so let's see, this is, uh, this issue. If you look at the credits, everyone's name is backwards. Um, but basically it's written by Grant Morrison and the pencilers are Brad Walker and, um, Rags Morales. Uh, not a bad looking book, but I just felt the book didn't make a lot of sense half the time. I wasn't really sure what was happening. Um, I just thought it was trying to be more strange and weird than it needed to be. And as a result, it just kind of alienated me as a reader. Um, and like it was, it was trying to be a lot of different things, but I couldn't quite decide what it wanted to be. And by the end, I was just happy it was over. And I still wasn't really sure what was happening. Um, so, I mean, as, as a Superman story... It's really not all that great. I do kind of like the last page, but I just feel like Grant Morrison didn't quite have a good sense of exactly what he wanted to do, or at least not in a way that made any real sense. It was just a little too crazy, a little bit too off the wall. Um, you know, and, and for some people that might be their, like kind of what they're looking for, but for me personally, I didn't really enjoy it. I gave it a 6 out of 10. Uh, so that's the end of... I, I think overall, like again, there were some really strong issues in this run, but then you had... Then Grant Morrison just went farther and farther down the Morrison rabbit hole. Um, for, like Grant Morrison can be a really good writer and he has really good ideas, but sometimes he just gets so wrapped up, I think, in his own ideas that it just by the end it doesn't even really make a lot of sense, or it's hard to really chart what makes sense in this uh, tapestry that he's put together. I mean, this is not one of his more grounded, more uh, understanding runs where you can kind of look at it all and be like, okay, it all kind of fits together. Elements of it do. Um, but at the end, it just kind of goes a little bit too crazy. Uh, next up is All New X-Men number 9. I'm really enjoying this book. Um, you know, I, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I mean, I, I guess I got so used to uh, Brian Michael Bendis writing The Avengers, and I was kind of over his take on The Avengers that I didn't know if his take on The X-Men would be all that interesting or enjoyable, but I'm actually really loving this. Um, the artwork's by Stuart Immonen, who's a fantastic penciler, and I like that when he's kind of uh, getting himself caught up on the next arc. We have David Marquez pulling in. So, I mean, those are two great artists who are uh, alternating. 
this is some fantastic artwork here. Uh, we have the da- Danger Room session with the uh, the original five X-Men taking on Sentinels, and that's really cool. I like seeing Katie in this professor kind of um, stance and seeing her as the leader, uh, which is really interesting. I like the Iceman's kind of freaking out about, you know, why does your Danger Room hurt so much, which is kind of cool. Uh, you got some stuff going on with Mystique, and Mystique breaks out uh, Lady Mastermind. Um, that part's cool. Um, yeah, no, this is, and then you have a, a good interaction with uh, with Beast, and kind of seeing what's going on with that, because uh, Beast is kind of getting used to how he looks different now, um, even though he's managed to not die. You have the X Men coming, realizing that Cyclops has had an engage. Um, uh, he has had an interaction with Mystique. What does this mean? And at the very end, just when everyone's kind of upset in different ways, and suddenly, suddenly old Cyclops shows up. Um, so this ties into, I guess, last week's issue of Uncanny X-Men, where at the very end of the, of the issue, they... I'm actually... Uh, they disappear and they show up at, to confront, uh, I guess, the school. Uh, what I do like, and, and first of all, uh, Emma Frost's costume... Sorry, in the background, you're probably hearing sirens, because there's sirens nearby. Uh, Emma Frost's costume, she looks like Lady Mastermind, actually. It was I didn't really realize it until... When she's not wearing the white and when she's not wearing the kind of a classic looking costume, it looks like she's basically wearing Lady Mastermind's costume. Um, I'm actually really like coming to like Cyclops' costume. The X doesn't look nearly as stupid as it did earlier uh, in, in, in original artwork when it was first promoted. I'm still not really sure what the point is of the X because how, is, how are his beams even coming out? But it's not a bad costume and I'm kind of I'm kind of getting over it, kind of liking it. So overall, I gave the book an 8.5 out of 10. It moved along in a fairly nice clip. We're getting some good characterization of uh, the original X-Men. I like seeing them in the Danger Room setting, which is pretty cool, and seeing how they interact as a team or don't interact as a team as the case might be. I'm interested to see what uh, bringing uh, Cyclops and the old Cyclops to the t- to uh, to the school will be like. I'm interested to see what's going on, what's going to happen with Mystique. So there's a lot of balls in the air, but I'm really excited about seeing where they fall. Uh, so that's an 8.5 out of 10. Next up is a book that I've really been enjoying since it started, which is Avengers, uh, issue number 8. Not the strongest issue thus far, uh, but still very good. Uh, the artwork's by Dustin Weaver, uh, who I guess they're never going to finish the S.H.I.E.L.D. miniseries they were doing together because I'd really like to know what happens in the end of that. But uh, I like... Now, I don't know a lot about the whole new, new universe uh, from the, I guess, the late 80s, uh, but it's clear that uh, Hickman is, is playing in that universe. He's bringing the star brand and the night mask, and I'm interested to see where that kind of goes. I like that they're... Inter- trying to find out what happened because of the last white event, uh, how, how what the star brand means. Uh, the star brand ends up on the, on the Mars. What does that mean? Uh, what's it, there's still X Nilo. Like, there's a lot of interesting questions here, but I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. And uh, it's just it's just a really it's a really fun read. A lot of it's because you get the sense that there's such there's something big going on here, and we're not really sure what that is yet. So I really like that uh, that. Hickman's playing with these really giant, you know, world-centering ideas, and uh, I can't wait to see where he goes from here. Um, so I gave this an eight and a half out of ten. Fantastic artwork by Dustin Weaver. Um, you know, like th- they've had some great artists in this book. I mean, you started off with uh, now I'm forgetting his name, which is horrible. Uh, the guy who did, uh, oh man, why can't I remember? He did uh, a few issues of uh, Uncanny X Force when it started. Man. Anyways, he's a great artist, and I just can't remember his name now. Then you had uh, Adam Kubert on the book. So, I mean, you've had some really fantastic artists 
and um, the book just continues to look great with Dustin Weaver on uh, on pencils. I'll probably at some point in the show just randomly remember who was the first uh, artist. Uh, Jerome Pena, sorry. He was the artist on the first few issues of this new relaunched Avengers book. I knew I'd come up with it eventually. Uh, so that's an 8.5 out of 10. It's a great issue. I cannot wait to have it all collected and, and just to have more of it. Like I think like in a year or so when you have a lot more issues have been published and you can kind of collect all the trades and it'll be one hell of a story to have all collected in one spot uh it's really fun really great read uh next up is batwoman number 18 not so sure how i feel about this i i, I did like it um i'm glad that we're kind of away from the kind of craziness that the the last few issues had been um so now we're getting a lot more typical type of storytelling so it's written by uh jh williams the third and w hayden blackman with uh, Trevor McCarthy and art and cover. Um, you know, at times it kind of looks like uh, Williams without being Williams, if that makes sense. Part of that, I guess, is attributable to the colorist. Uh, it's also the it's one of two times this week where we see Mr. Freeze in a book. Um, I like seeing how there's a lot of different things kind of work going on here where you have Batwoman basically working for the DAO and, uh, and, and not being able to really tell anyone and she's training someone. Sorry, I guess it's her cousin. Um, you'll see you have some good Maggie Sawyer moments here as well, seeing what's going to happen with them. I'm also interested to see um, what's going on with Chase at the end of the issue. I like that Batman and Batwoman are having a little bit of an interaction, which is more than we usually get. Uh, this stuff felt a lot more grounded, a lot more... I think I enjoyed it more than I would have expected previously because the, the series was a little bit weird and crazy when I had Wonder Woman and the giant creatures and everything and now we're getting more back into street level so i appreciate that and i enjoy that uh that switch back into more grounded storytelling so that's an eight out of ten uh next up is birds of prey number 18 i'm still surprised i'm enjoying this uh as much as i am i I wasn't really following maybe the first year of this book but ever since i've been doing the podcast i've been following it and i actually really like the team and how they interact uh again another kind of appearance of uh mr freezen here um cool stuff though i like seeing how these characters are interacting with each other uh yeah it's just a cool team in general uh and also seeing how uh the court of owls and uh mr freeze is trying to hunt them down that's kind of cool uh condor and strix are an interesting kind of twosome to kind of have around uh, i also like the relationship between black canary and um uh, what's her name? And Batgirl. And just seeing how they interact. Because it is quite different than it was pre-New 52, but it's still interesting to see that relationship kind of develop. Especially because Black Canary is a lot younger here, and she doesn't feel as old as she was in the pre-New 52. Um, I like how Strix is being written. Uh, there's just a lot of really interesting things here going on. I like how Black Canary is kind of dealing with her powers and um, the idea of what she sees in the mirror. Really cool. I'm interested to see what we do from here. Um it's a really good book. It's really fun. Uh, I gave it an 18. It's right, an 18. I gave it an 8 out of 10 for issue 18. Next up is Cable and X-Force. So, so far we've had a pretty good run. <laughs> the last four issues have, have gotten an 8 or higher. Uh, not including, obviously, Action Comics 18, which was the first issue we looked at. Uh, so, Cable and X-Force 16. I don't really like this book. A big part of it's the art. Uh, I don't like the colors uh, on the, La Roca's artwork. It makes it feel more anemic than it needs to be. I do feel like there are certain panels here where at least it started to feel a little bit more like the LaRocra I used to like, uh, as opposed to what we've been getting recently. 
Um, I still don't like the, the look for cable. I don't like the look for Forge either. I still don't understand really what's going on half the time. Like, I don't think the story's all that clear at all times. I do like that we get some Kitty Pride interaction and her wanting to save uh, Colossus kind of from himself. I like that Boom Boom is here, kind of being a vacuous kind of slut, which is, or at least playing up that part, which is kind of cool. I like her interactions with with uh, Domino and seeing how they team up, because that feels like, it feels nice, because I mean, they, they, they worked together a long time, or they worked together when Boom Boom was quite younger, uh, so I actually kind of liked seeing that. I don't really like how they're not really addressing that Colossus's powers aren't really working the same as they should. Um, it's obvious from the artwork, at least, that they're kind of playing up the idea that he's he's a little bit of both, that they're not quite right, um, but it doesn't quite work, and I don't know, I just didn't enjoy that part. Um, yeah, I, I want Colossus to be more interesting than this. So, what I do really like about the end of this issue, though, is seeing uh, Scott Summer show up, and he wants to talk with Cable. That's probably the, the highlight of the issue for me. I mean, I, I'm giving the issue 6.5 out of 10. It wasn't a fantastic read. It had moments where it was pretty strong, but then it had a lot of moments where it just kind of fell apart. But seeing that last page, I'm like, okay, well, now we're going to get into something. Now I really want to see what Cyclops has to say to Cable and see how that works. Because uh, I just... Cable's a character who feels so vacuous at this point. Like, he doesn't have a purpose. He kind of is trying... They're trying to give him a purpose, but they're doing it in such a way that doesn't really make a lot of sense, and it's not clear at all times what that is. So I'm hoping we get something out of this uh, going forward. Uh, next up is Captain America number 7. Um, didn't really like this either. Uh, this is another 6.5 out of 10. This book just needs to decide what's, what it wants to be. Cause I've, oh, sorry, not issue number 7. It's issue number 5. Uh, this by Rick Remender and John Romita. This is both the best and worst of John Romita's artwork in, at the same time. And I've said this in the last issue's review as well because you have some pages which are just so, like, the artwork's... There's not a lot of clarity in the artwork. It's just kind of very kind of sketchy and there's a lot of mush faces and and it just it doesn't look like there's a lot of time spent on making sure that the issue looked as great as possible. But then there's some other panels where the artwork looks really strong and the, even the beard on Cap America looks really great. Um, so I don't know, like there's some interesting aspects of the story, but I'm, I'm kind of ready for this to be over. I mean, I appreciate what, uh, Remetta's trying to do here and try this kind of big, big bombastic superhero, Jack Kirby style, uh, superhero story, but I just don't really care much for it. Um, I, I'm done with Remention Z. I'm done with the fact that Cap America is freaking old now. I mean, like he was already, you know, they, it's already been a certain amount of years that he's been out of ice, but now he's been 10 years away and I guess when he comes back, it's going to be like it's been five minutes. And I don't know. I just feel like that feels like an overplayed kind of trope as well. Uh, so I'm not really all that interested in seeing it played out. So, and part of it, and I have to admit my bias, is that I loved Ed Brubaker's run. I like the more realistic, um, espionage kind of style take on the character. So seeing him in Dimension Z fighting these monsters and having an Arnim Zola consciousness on his chest, I'm not a big fan of that. So, I mean, take from that as you will. Uh, six and a half out of ten. Next up is Captain Marvel number eleven. Uh, I I actually really like the story, but the artwork I just don't care for. And I know some people like uh, I guess Sabella. I'm not a fan. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick is do, really picking up in terms of the story. I like that how it's. I mean, it always feels. Sorry, Sabella is not the artwork. Kelly Sue DeConnick and Christopher Sabella wrote it. My apologies with uh, the artist is Felipe Andrade or Andrade. Um, 
Jordi Beller is the colorist, which I find fascinating because I love Jordi Beller's colors on Manhattan Projects, and this feels like a different colorist completely. But a lot of that is also the squiggle pencil art, and I'm just not a huge fan of that at all. The story is strong. The story is interesting about Carol kind of having to confront her uh, her limitations and the fact that you know if if she if she if she pushes herself too far and if she if she flies, which is why the first arc is that all that more important because we have to understand why it matters so much to the character that she flies. She's kind of like how Jordan that way. This this the flight means so much, um, and it, and but if she continues to fly, she's going to lose a lot big part of herself, which is kind of a really interesting aspect. So the story is interesting. Just the artwork isn't at all. It's just it's too uh, it's just too flaky for me. I want a little bit more substance, and I just feel like. There's a lot of weird squiggles and it half done squiggles and it's hard to it's hard to speak about it rationally and not sound kind of stupid because I say yeah there's some loose squiggles here and you're like well really what does that mean what kind of critique of art is that I'm not a student of art so I'll admit that right there but I it just doesn't do a lot for me in terms of really engaging me in the story or being all that interesting to look at um, and the story that's written by DeConnick and Sabella is worth more than the art. Um, so that's why I ended up giving it a 6 because I just don't like the artwork I think if the artwork was stronger it would have been an easy 7 probably not an 8 but at least a 7 because it's not a bad story it's kind of interesting interesting uh, ideas in there uh, next up is Constantine number 1 uh, I have never read Hellblazer that's my shame because <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are like well Hellblazer is a really great comic there's been a lot of really great eras in that comic uh, it obviously ran for a long time I've never really read any of it, so I don't know a lot about John Constantine as a character. I haven't even watched the terrible movie that I know is not a good introduction to the character anyway. Uh, this issue is written by Jeff Lemire and Ray Fox. Makes sense, because I think Jeff Lemire is writing uh, Justice League Dark, so it makes sense he'd be writing the character in both uh, both places that you can currently find him. Uh, the artwork is by, uh, I believe, Ren- uh, let me just pull it up, Renato Guedes. Uh, I actually really like the artwork. I actually really like the story in general. Like, I don't know a lot about... The mystic world of DC is not something I know a lot about. So I like that we're kind of having a a John Constantine adventure. And it kind of... The fact that he basically lets his friend die um, is kind of really fascinating. And makes him quite different than the typical kind of hero of any kind. Um, And so it's kind of got a dark sensibility to it. It's uh, a little bit of humor in there as well. I'm interested to see kind of where they go with uh the types of dark magic that's kind of out there and that he that he's basically they're playing up the idea that with all magic there is a cost and there's always a price uh i actually kind of like this i mean i didn't wasn't really sure what to expect from this book i th- i did like the i think the zero issue for justice League dark which is mainly a constantine issue so i was like okay i'll give this a shot this is actually quite enjoyable i'm definitely interested in reading issue two um yeah, no, if you're fans of Hellblazer, this probably isn't going to be a book you're going to like all that much because obviously it's a it's a more of a watered-down, I would assume at least, I would assume it's more of a watered-down DC proper version of Constantine, whereas in Hellblazer they were allowed to do a lot of different things because it was Vertigo. Again, I can't confirm that for sure, but that's what it seems to be. Um, but no, I gave it an 8 out of 10 because it was a solid read. Uh, next up is uh, Daredevil 24. Fantastic read. Uh, once again, Mark Wade proves that he is just uh, rolling on all cylinders with this book. Uh, the artwork is by Chris Samney, who is fantastic as well. I can't wait to see what the act, who is actually behind this entire uh, mystery endeavor, um, and who's done all this to Murdoch and kind of setting him up. Uh, the whole uh, Matt Murdoch assisting uh, 
Foggy Nelson and trying being with him at his side when he's dealing with his cancer is fascinating. I liked uh, even to seeing Matt uh, dealing with Kristen McDuffie and realizing that he he's kind of in love with this girl is kind of great as well. Him interacting with Hank Pym was kind of cool as well, and Hank Pym's going up and down in size so that they kind of play on on the on the sound of his voice and what that'd be like for some with the very sensitive hearing. Um, Matt Marta goes up against these animals that had been. Uh, basically doused with the same chemicals that gave him his own powers uh really cool stuff really enjoying this uh i want to see where they go from here um yeah and the last page is kind of a a nice little like uh, cliffhanger as well so this book has been so strong it's firing all cylinders the artwork is spectacular it looks so great i mean you've had a bunch of different artists on this book you've had uh, all red uh, uh, Paolo Rivera you've had uh, Marcos Martin you've had Chris Samney and there's just been such a great consistency of old school tone and charm um, throughout all these different artists and like this is one of the books where I would kind of hold it up next to Hawkeye which is usually done by David Aja or Javier Pulido and said like these are books that tonally don't even look that different and they have that same kind of sensibility but they could play off in different ways and above all else they're charming like this book is charming as all hell and a lot of that's in how Mark Wade is writing the script as well he writes a charming script he writes a Matt Murdock who's kind of fun to read and I mean for those who might have listened to episode 62 of Comic Shenanigans we did the uh, our top 10 favorite Daredevil storylines um, although I don't think there's been one particular storyline that Mark Wade's done that's really been like this is going to be one of my favorites I do think in general he's done a fantastic run that has reinvigorated the character and added dimensions that we didn't know Daredevil still had because Daredevil had been so mired in, dep- in depressing but realistic stories and this darkness which after a while it just felt almost like it was just too much and that's just after Shadowland and then he comes back and Mark Wade writes this brilliant take on the character which says yes everything else all happened yes there's a darker side to Daredevil he's not going to let that define his life anymore which is kind of brilliant because it's a, it's such a nice way of, of making a tonal change that doesn't alienate fans of the character instead pays respect to where the character's been and tries to uh, make the character make a logical uh, change from that point um, so no I really really love Daredevil. Uh next up is Green Lantern New Guardians number 18 uh, where to start with this book first of all it's once again part of the Wrath of the First Lantern storyline I think it's part let me just pull it up I believe it's part 7 uh, I've, I've read the same part of the story I think 4 or 5 times now uh, I'm done with the whole having watching this guy change. Like, what is the point of this storyline? It's so frustrating because overwatching over and over and over again is these different characters seeing what would have happened if their lives had gone differently and then rejecting it in some way. Here we have Star Sapphire, uh, sorry, Carol Ferris doing it. She doesn't even get her phone focused, though. Of course not, because you also have to make sure that the rest of the. Uh, the Guardians do. So you have St. Walker kind of reliving it as well. You have Larflees, and then uh, I guess it basically is leading up to the next installment of the storyline is going to be in Red Lantern, so you're going to have more rage. I just don't care about the storyline at all, and I, I, I don't think anyone is. I think everyone's kind of... I've read a few reviews here and there, and everyone seems to be saying the same thing, that we're reading the same story over and over again. It hasn't moved in any way. Green Lantern is the only uh, place where we actually had any kind of movement, because at least then you have... Simon Baz being in the uh, in the kind of the netherworld, and then Sinestro coming back to life, and all that kind of stuff. At least we're getting something different, but this is just ah, oh, it's painful to see the same story beats repeated over and over again, just with different characters. But it's all generally the same story. I'm just I'm just done. I'm ready for the Green Lantern 
Green Lantern, New Guardians, and the entire franchise really to have an overhaul and have new people writing it. Uh, obviously, I mean, there's been a lot of spe- uh, talk this week about all the different changes that might be coming because Josh Falkov, who is Joshua Hale Falkov, sorry, who was supposed to be taking over, I believe, Green Lantern Corps, uh, left the book saying that they wanted them to kill Jeff, um, uh, John Stewart, and now DC's come out and said, no, that's not true, but who knows what's really going on there. Not a great week for DC because you've had... Um, Andy Diggle has tendered his resignation on Action Comics before his run has even started. Same thing with Joshua Hale Falkov. So it's kind of not a great time to be at DC, maybe, because uh, maybe editorial's too strong and it's kind of coming to light more and more these days. Um, anyways, moving forward from the abysmal uh, New Guardians, which I gave a six, but I almost feel like it could have gone lower. But on a technical level, it's still not bad. It's just not a, something I care to read because it's just... I'm just reading the same story over and over and over again. Um, I forgot to actually mention the uh, the creative team, though. It's uh, written by uh, Tony Bedard, who, you know, he's a good writer. I just I feel like he's constrained by where the storyline has to go. He's got, uh, let's see, Henry Presetto, or Presetio, on uh, who's the artist on the Carol Ferris sequence. You have Jim Calafiore, who I do enjoy, on the Larflu sequence. And you have Javier Pulido on the St. Walker sequence. Uh, Polito's artwork, this isn't the greatest place for it. It's still good, but it, he's better elsewhere. Um, so anyways, next up is Indestructible Hulk number 5. I didn't find this nearly as charming as I had the last few issues. I gave it a 7. Um, I thought that I liked the done in one natures of where the storylines were going. Uh, now this was part... I, I still don't understand why he's wearing that armor, first of all. I mean, it makes some sense in this story, but... This is ostensibly an Atuma story and a Lemurian story. Um, I felt like it took a little bit too long to get to the point, but I like seeing uh, like this woman incredibly attracted to Hulk and doesn't really like Bruce Banner and is kind of waiting for him to turn into Hulk. And That part's kind of fascinating and kind of weird and interesting. It's not a bad issue. It just kind of felt like it, it, it was not that sophisticated an issue. Uh, I don't know. I've seen better issues of Hulk smashing and Hulk being able to be more heroic and, and be a hero. So this was alright, but it wasn't that strong. Uh, artwork by Lionel Francis Yu. It's written by Mark Wade, who I do feel like has a nice handle on the character. I just, this personally wasn't quite the issue for me. Uh, next up is Justice League 18. Uh, good. This is a good issue. I mean, after the uh, Throne of Atlantis storyline, now you have the idea that um, Cyborg might try to put together, like, they're trying to basically choose who they're going to allow on the uh, the roster of the um, Justice League. So the artwork is by uh, Jesus Saez. With, uh, it's written by Jeff Johns. And then in the backup, it's by uh, artwork by Gary Frank, also written by Jeff Johns. This was an okay issue. I mean, um, the first few pages are just kind of useless fluff where these characters are basically being uh, asked to go out to the Watchtower and talk about potentially joining the Justice League. Uh, he introduced the new version of Platinum, who's obviously one of the metal men. Uh, and she kind of goes berserk. And the only way to stop her is eventually, um, and but without ruining all the hard work behind creating her, is that, that we see the new Adam show up. Uh, the issue didn't feel like it really did a lot in terms of moving plot forwards. And at the end, it looks like um, someone is trying to get access to all the Justice League's files, which I guess is you know pretty crazy, but I just... This story could have been more 
I don't know, proactive. It could have been more interesting. I mean, a lot of it's just an extended fight sequence. They bring these characters onto the just onto the Justice League's headquarters, and then one of them goes crazy, and then they have to spend the rest of the issue trying to talk fight her and uh, stop her without destroying her uh, response meter or whatever it's called. Um, and then, thanks to Adam, they're able to do that, and then someone in the meantime hacked in and stole their system, their files and updates. Who cares? Like, I, I, I did like the issue. I gave it a 7 out of 10, but I just also feel like, now that I'm kind of looking over it again, not a lot really happened. I mean, it, it's just, it's so extended, and I just feel like usually Jeff Johns can get to the point a little bit more than this. Um, but anyway, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Speaking of Jeff Johns getting to the point a little bit faster... Uh, we have Justice League of America number two, um, written by Jeff Johns, artwork by David Finch. Um, there's some stuff in here I really enjoyed. Uh, the, the team kind of comes together. So this is kind of what I just said about Justice League also works here in that you have a team book where we have a lot of kind of slow build up to what this team is going to be. You have them kind of gathering together and uh, they looks like they're being confronted by robotic versions of the Justice League at the end. That's basically what's going on. The backup is written by Matt Kent with uh, artwork by Scott Clark. Didn't much care for it myself, uh, but it definitely shows the, the uh, Martian Manhunter showing Barack Obama why they why they, he should support the Justice League of America. Um, I'm interested to see how this team interacts with each other. I liked seeing there was a brief scene where they're all sitting around at um, a table and talking about this press conference they're about to go to. Uh, there's a lot of potential in this book and seeing how these characters interact and especially the secret society that's being built up, which is kind of cool as well. Uh, you see the Scarecrow at the beginning be inducted into this group. So I'm interested to see where this goes. I just felt like it was a very slow move. And after getting an excruciatingly slow first issue, I thought we'd get a little bit more right into the action here. But hopefully issue three will be able to kind of bring more action to light. So I gave this a 7 out of 10 as well. Uh, completing the uh, Justice League books for this week because we have Justice League 18, Justice League of America number 2, and now we have Justice League of America's Vibe. So we, with each title, we're adding an additional word. Um, it's actually not a bad book. I gave it a 7 out of 10. What I really liked is how uh, there's a crisscross between if you read this book and you read Justice League of America. So I apologize. There's a lot of sounds in the that are going around my complex right now, so they might be uh, being picked up in the uh, podcast. So I do apologize. Um, you have uh, scenes in this book, Justice League of America's Vibe, tying in with Justice League of America number two, which I kind of like. I mean, they're written by the same character, so what? Uh, sorry, the same writer. So why not have uh, some some links between them? Um, I actually kind of think that was a smart plan. It's kind of cool to link up between the two books to show that there is continuity between them. Uh, so we have the solo character, and we're also seeing what he does as part of a team as well. Uh, so this issue is basically about Vibe kind of getting used to his powers, used to uh, having a you know a code name, used to the fact that he probably shouldn't have told his brother that what he's doing. Um, really kind of interesting, cool stuff. I'm interested to see there at the ending. We're seeing that uh, Vibe's still around. So not Vibe, sorry. There's uh, Gypsy, who's also a character from the same era. Um, interested to see how Vibe is going to go up against Kid Flash in the next issue. So I actually really enjoyed this. Um, so the artwork is by Pete Woods and Andres Guinaldo, and it's written by Jeff Johns and Andrew Kreisberg. Um, so this was good. And one thing I actually should haven't mentioned, but I am not a huge fan at all of these weird Channel 52 recap pages, I guess, at the end, kind of letting you know what's going on in the different books. Could not tell you, can, sorry, I cannot tell you how much I think this is just 
ridiculous. I don't like it. I'd rather have the old DC Nation style, like pages where the Dio talks about things that are going on. That at least is more interesting, but not those horrible and uh, you know recap pages at the back. They're just dumb. I don't really like them. Uh, anyways, just League of America's vibe, seven out of ten. So if you're keeping track, all the Justice League books that came out this week, all three of them, all got sevens. Uh, next up is New Avengers number four. I give this an eight and a half out of ten. It's strong. I wish there'd be more fallout from last issue and what they did with uh, Cap America. That being said, I like that this is uh, a forward-moving book. It's really, it's it's not wasting time. It's moving ahead to kind of see what the plan is to uh, try and prevent um, uh, the destruction of the Earth when the next incursion happens. And then they go to another Earth and uh, they see what's going on there. I like how everyone on the team is kind of trying to create these these ways of uh, helping the team or helping their Earth survive, which I kind of liked. And I like that they go up against uh, a Terax from another world, which is really cool. Uh, I like seeing that in this other world, instead of the Statue of Liberty, you have Magneto's statue. Well, that's kind of cool. I like that uh, Galactus is arriving to uh, destroy this planet. I'm I'm really enjoying this. It's a lot of fun. Um, Jonathan Hickman is the right writer for this book. He gets these characters. He's writing them in a great way. Uh, I think this is another book which once you can read it in a collected format will just be absolutely fantastic to read. It's still good on a on a monthly basis, but I think it'll really benefit from being uh, in collected format, or at least from being presented in a way that it's easy to read them all you know, in, in at once. Um, so I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Fantastic book. The artwork by Epting is brilliant. Uh, the colors are great as well. This is just... And like... The covers are, are awesome. Um, like that shadow of Galactus's head and then the eyes just kind of lighting up. And then you have the uh, the silhouettes of all the uh, Illuminati. Really cool stuff. <laughs> really striking. Uh, just a great read. 8.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Nightwing 18. Now this book uh, is actually more of an 8, 8.5 in terms of the actual script because I really liked it. Um, the artwork though is not the best. I mean this is not Eddie Barrows by any means. Uh, it just part of it was the colors. The colors felt a little uh, bland, a little light. They weren't as rich or as uh, deep as they could be. There's a, a lack of depth in the uh, in the colors by Brett Smith um, and the artwork by Juan Jose Rip with inks by Roger Bonet and Juan Albaran uh, just could have been a little bit better, a little stronger. Kyle Higgins does a great job on the actual scripting, though. Uh, you're having Nightwing kind of dealing with everything that's happened recently, and also dealing with the fact that he's lost basically a brother uh, in uh, in Damian uh, Wayne. And I liked seeing him and Batman kind of interacting as well, so that was kind of interesting to see. Uh, I like that you have this crazy dealer who's uh, selling things like, that are involved in uh, crime, etc. in Gotham. I thought that was actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the script was really good here, really strong, and you have a great sense of... of uh, Dick Grayson really tried to come to grips with all this grief. Uh, not only has he kind of lost all the people around him and kind of lost the circus, and he's also dealing with the fact that he doesn't really trust Batman anymore because Batman hasn't told him everything. And then he's also dealing with the death of Damien. So there's a lot going on here in terms of the script. I just wish the artwork was uh, much better at, at capturing it fully. That's why it only got a, a 7 out of 10 and not an 8. It was primarily the artwork's fault there. It kind of dragged it down. Uh, next up is... Nova number two, man, there's a lot of books that came out this week. Uh, Nova number two, very solid read. I uh, gave it an eight and a half out of ten. We're starting to move forward a little. Uh, again, I guess this all kind of takes place prior to 
seeing what happened in uh, Avengers vs. X-Men and having him actually be a Nova, but the artwork by Ed McGinnis is great. It's a little reeled in. Uh, it's not as overly bombastic as it could be. Um, I really like how he kind of illustrates uh, Nova when he's got the helmet on and seeing how he interacts with it and how he's able to... Like, he it definitely feels like a kid getting the power of a Nova and seeing how in the modern era, because, I mean, obviously that was what happened with Richard Rider to begin with, but it was told in a much more 70s way. But here we have this guy who's kind of getting used to the fact that he's a living rocket and what does that mean to you and so it's really cool um jeff Loeb does a great job writing it um it seems like he's having fun and i like that he has nova basically like plow into the moon which is really cool now what i really liked uh i've never seen the watcher look this alien with the, the eyes on the last page like the, the way that the eyes are illustrated on the character are really interesting but i think it makes Uatu look much more alien, which I think is appropriate. And I actually really liked the uh, the decision there to make him look that alien. I mean, he's still wearing his classic costume. He's kind of got the, you know, the toga dress and he's got like the, the armbands and the gloves and the, the, you know, the arm outstretched. It's very classic Uatu. But the eyes are kind of oddly shaped and, and the way that it kind of looks on the head makes the features of Uatu look a lot more alien. And I actually really, really dug that. I thought that was a smart artistic choice and one that more people should do because usually he just kind of looks like a a weird bald man <laughs> portending doom but here he actually looks alien and that kind of made it more interesting and and much more like if this is a kid and you suddenly find out that you have these powers and you can basically get to the moon really like before you know it because you're the living rocket and then uh, or a human rocket sorry and then you're there and then you look up you crash land into the moon you look up and you see this alien creature with a bald head that's creepy as hell and it's really effective um this is a fun read very enjoyable I gave it eight and a half out of ten. Uh, so now we're leading into the, I guess, the last six. There's so many books. Oh my god! Uh, next up is Red Hood and the Outlaws. Ah, uh, this was a hard read because it, I just, I don't think it. First of all, it says Requiem on the cover. Uh, it's not. This is not a Requiem issue. I mean, it's an interesting issue of dealing with the fact that uh, Red Hood's kind of, uh, he's in a coma and he's kind of dealing with. Uh, his own personal demons and and the especially obviously that means the Joker and then you also have um, in the real world you have uh, Alfred and, and Bruce kind of worrying about Jason and wanting to kind of him and it's an interesting way of kind of looking at how they want to get him back in the fold and that they don't want him to be off on his own and uh, it's kind of showing that he is kind of more part of the family it would make more sense that this if this storyline hadn't been right after a storyline called Death of the Family which was basically about him not being part of this family anymore. But at the end of this issue, like you have him basically embracing Bruce, and it's actually a heartfelt moment, but it also doesn't fit what just happened in the storyline at all, especially given the fact that Damien just died. But I think as of this storyline, he hasn't died yet because he was already in the mansion, and it's just the continuity is hard to understand because at some point they have to when Damien dies, it's the same day that. Jason Todd is wearing a different costume, and that can't be this day, and it has to be after this day, and I guess I'm not supposed to think about these kind of things, because once I think about them, they don't make any sense. Um, the story wasn't bad, though. I mean, again, the the, the, the cover was disingenuous. Uh, the artwork by Tyler Kirkham, not as best, but it's still fairly good, and it's uh, not a bad script by Scott Lobdell. Although, really, this is two issues in a row which are much more Red Hood-focused and not in any way the Outlaws-focused. 
Um, but yeah, so that's Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 18. I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Next up is Savage Wolverine, number 3. This book, it's fun. I like that we had Amadeus Cho here. I like that... It, it, I, I thought this was actually in some ways a lot more fun than the last couple issues. Uh, the artwork by Frank Cho is just really... It's just Frank Cho's art. I mean, it's so... It's it's about like these women in in base in like jungle loincloths. So there's a lot of breasts. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of really good looking women and even look good looking guys. Um, it's not about you know it's not about realistic artwork. This is about hot ladies and hot guys fighting in the savage land. I like that you had Amistad's Cho here. I like that you have the way that Wolverine kind of interacts with. Uh, some of these characters, I like that Shanna kind of inadvertently provokes more of a more combat because she falls on someone. Uh, you know, it, it's fun, and she gets pretty critically injured here, and it's up to Amadeus Cho to kind of try and save her life. Uh, you know, as much as this this story really probably doesn't need to be told, and this isn't like a comic where I'm like, you have to read Savage Wolverine, otherwise you will not understand what's going on with Wolverine. That's obviously not the case. It's very much its own thing. Um, that being said, it's fun. It's a big, dumb, fun story with Frank Cho art, and Frank Cho is not the greatest writer, but it doesn't really matter. And the art is is fun, and it's I'm it's all about this, the the tone and sensibility of a comic. And this one is not overly concerned with taking itself seriously. It's trying to have a good time. So if if this issue had been, had been trying to be more serious, then I would have been like, well, this is just a mismatch, and this isn't working. But because it's trying to have fun, you know, it was a fun read. I'll, I'll give it that. Um, so I gave it an 8 out of 10. Next up is Superior Spider-Man number 6. I also gave this one an 8.5 out of 10. Um, this one has artwork by Humberto Ramos with, uh, writing by Dan Slott. Uh, I really, I, it's the type of thing where, like, I, li- I really like what's going on in this book, but I just, I want Peter back already. Because this is, it's almost feels uncomfortable because at what point are, is Spider-Man gonna go past the edge of a turn? Um, it kind of reminds me how Smallville felt after a while that he was constantly like getting his mind controlled and then it was constantly screwing up his life and then he'd be like, oh no, my life has been screwed up again. and But I can't tell anybody. And it's just like, again? And that's kind of what this feels like is that where Spider-Man's life is definitely going downhill because he's doing things that he shouldn't be doing and the Avengers are worried and they're probably, obviously, they're, it looks like they're going to be kicking him off the team soon. So there's a lot of violence, and that all makes sense. But at the same time, it's kind of like, whoa, hold up a little. Like I don't, I don't want Spider-Man to have to come back to a ruined life. Like I, I don't need Peter Parker's life though was to suck. I like that he was much happier. I like that he had everything kind of going his way, and things were turning around. And uh, I, don't, I didn't need to see that go away. That being said, I like that you have Screwball and Jester taunting Spider-Man here and, and Spider-Man just basically losing it because he he connects what happens to uh, what happened when he was younger and he just sets off and he beats the crap out of these two characters who are relatively joke characters instead of... And even then, they're like, you, you know, you don't get the joke this, and uh, this isn't funny. And Spider-Man just beats them up and brutally and the Avengers basically resolving, okay, we got to bring him in. Something's not right. We have to look into this. Um, strong read, great artwork, great story, 8.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Ultimate Comics Spider-Man number 21. Uh, this wasn't nearly as strong as some of the more recent issues have been. Again, it's written by Bendis, artwork by Sarah Pacelli. It's a good read. It just didn't quite feel as strong. Um, you have Venom is kind of out there, so that's going on. You have 
uh, Spider-Man's dad has been heavily injured. You have Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane showing up, so they're having interactions on what to do about that uh, and what what they know about Venom. So that part's kind of cool. Uh, seeing what Maria Hill kind of thinks about the entire situation is interesting as well. Uh, something about it just didn't quite work with me, and I'm not really sure what it was. Um, it, w- it was not a bad read by any means. Um, but it wasn't the strongest issue either. Part of that's because we didn't really get any Spider-Man action. Um, and I like seeing Miles as Spider-Man and seeing how he interacts with Sp- that Spider-World. Um, but hopefully we'll get to see more of that coming up. I'm not really sure how I, be- how I feel about this weird, grotesque version of Venom, but a lot of that will come up, I guess, in the next few issues. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. It's still a solid read, though. Uh, next up is X-Factor 253. This is... This is okay. I mean, it's it's a it's not a bad read. It's seven out of ten because it's not like the strongest read I've ever read. It's not the strongest writing by Peter David I've ever done. Uh, Multiple Man is essentially removed from this story, so we don't even get that sense of humor in here. But you are seeing more about what's going on with the Hell on Earth. Uh, the fact that all Marvel's heroes are kind of having to fight against it. Uh, I like that Tyr is kind of dealing with um, his lineage, etc. And seeing how X Factor is kind of rallying around him and trying to protect him, it, it's it is good. It's enjoyable. This Hell on Earth War is not bad. Um, I just feel like in some ways, like it needs to be a little bit more concise on what the story is going to be about, because it's kind of like very big. And I like X Factor when it's more about personal stories or uh, a little bit more grounded. And here it's so big and so large, and so I, I'm a little curious where they're going to go. Um, but it's still it's still not a bad read by any means. I mean, I, I've read bad reads. Trust me, and this isn't one of them. Um, so that's Peter David. Obviously, is back to writing it. Not that he ever left, but he's he's still writing it full time, even after a stroke. And uh, the artwork here is by Leonard Kirk, uh, who does provide a nice, consistent visual tone to the book. I, at times, I feel it almost looks like Stuart Eminen, um, so which is a high a high compliment. Uh, and then the last book we're going to take a look at is. Uh, Extermination Alpha Number One. Um, so this is starting the. Sorry, I guess it's not called Alpha. I guess it's just called Extermination. Um, this is starting the storyline that we're basically seeing uh, the Astonishing X Men, the Extreme X Men team, and uh, uh, the Age of Apocalypse book all te- kind of crossing over. So you're dealing with first um, Nightcrawler and a Dark Beast trying to get Nightcrawler back to his own universe. And uh, he's kind of confronted by the Astonishing X-Men, especially Wolverine, because he was recently betrayed by him. And then when they eventually make it through into into the new world, you have uh, Nightcrawler dealing with the fact that everything he thought he knew is gone, um, which is upsetting for him. Dark Beast, also, he was so excited about going back to his own world, and now to find that everyone's kind of been toppled, and it's not what he thought he was going to leave. The Astonishing X-Men are able to follow them in, and then suddenly you have the Extreme X-Men show up, and say that there's a lot more going on here, and uh, and then these things show up, which I don't even know really what they are. They look like Sentinels, but I guess uh, not really sure what that means. Now, not being someone who's been reading Extreme X Men, I don't really know what's going on here. <laughs> uh, I I've been reading a- uh, Age of Apocalypse, so I know what's going on there. I know what's going on with uh, Nightcrawler because. I had read what happened to him recently on Uncanny X-Force. I don't know what the event uh, Sasha X-Men have really been up to. I do have no real idea what the Extreme X-Men have been up to with Dazzler. But uh, I'm interested to see where the storyline could go. It definitely feels very like 
all the teams kind of show up on the same spot all at once, like boom, boom, boom. What do we do now? So it's not a bad read. It's just very like we're just jumping into it. And I almost felt like there should be a little bit more buildup. Um, there's more buildup given to like the Exterminated from Age of Apocalypse and the Astonishing X-Men, but a lot less for Extreme X-Men. And I think because those are the ones who are really um, kind of throwing the, the story into high gear because they kind of bring the villains into it, I wish there was more... Uh, discussion on exactly who they are and I have no idea who they are really or what like I know what they are theoretically like uh, but in practice I don't really know what's going on Um, this issue is written by David Laugham sorry David Laugham wrote this issue but the story is by David Laugham Marjorie Liu and Greg Pak Uh, the pencils are by David Lopez inks by Alvaro Lopez and Alan Martinez and colors by Andres Mbosa uh, not a bad read. Um, I'll give it a seven out of ten. I'm int- intrigued and interested to see what comes next. I like that there was that kind of uh, moment where Nightcrawler is dealing with the fact that this isn't the world he knew anymore, and the people he knew were gone and dead. And I like that Dark Beast is seeing like he wanted so badly to get back to his own universe where people liked him, and he had his own thing going on, and he was happy with it. And he kind of finds it's all gone, so it's a nice little turnaround for him as well. So that's interesting. So that is. Uh, all the books that I was able to read and review this week. Uh, there are a number of issues I didn't get a chance to talk about. They include the following. Catwoman 18. I, As I've said before, I read the Zero issue and I think I was done. So I haven't really been following this. Dark Avengers 188. Haven't been all that interested either. DC Universe Presents 18. Deadpool 6. Fables 127. I read it in trade so I don't really know what's going on on a week-to-week basis or month-to-month. So that's why I didn't get a chance to read it. Because I knew I wouldn't understand it anyway. Uh... JSA Liberty Files, The Whistling Skull number 4, Legion of Superheroes 18, Saga number 11. I've heard it's a really good issue. Um, I'm a big fan of Saga. I've fallen behind. I think don't think I've read issue 10 or 11 yet. Uh, I know that, and one thing I really like about Image is that they're really fast with their trades these days. Uh, I believe the new Saga trade goes on sale in April. I think, either April or May, and then the same thing with the new Manhattan Projects trade, so like, very closely after the last issues come out, the trades come out, so you can actually get caught up, which is something I wish DC would do, like, Marvel's pretty good with the hardcovers, again, if you're waiting for the softcover, not so good, but uh, at least you can more or less catch up, Um, but with DC, like, you're like a year behind, like, the Aquaman Volume 1 trade hasn't even come out yet, Um, the hardcover has, but not the trade, so by the time the trade comes out, They'll be on the issue, I think, 20 or so. So you'll be, you know, like, I think the first trade comes up, the issue's 1 to 6, I think, or 1 to 5. So you could be a year and a bit behind and when that trade finally comes out. And even when the next trade comes out, I think it comes out in November or December, you're still like a year or two behind or a year and a half behind. So it's just unfortunate that you can't get caught up on books at DC the same way that you can elsewhere, especially Image these days. With their ongoing titles, they're really on top of it. Um, so I'm, and and they're really good prices too. Like I find that their books are are priced differently and um, a little bit cheaper than Marvel and DC, especially cheaper than Marvel. Marvels have been jacking the prices on their trade paperbacks, which is unfortunate because you're getting less and less content. The, you're getting less issues and there's less page count in each issue, and yet you're paying the same if not more. Um, even if you go through uh, like retailers, uh, e-retailers like Amazon, you might be paying like 16, I think I paid 16 bucks for an X-Factor trade with four issues in it, 
Or actually, maybe I paid less, maybe around thirteen or fourteen. But I think like the standard price is like eighteen to twenty dollars for four issues. Like that's much more than newsstand. The whole point of trades, at least the way I used to think they were, was that it would be a little bit cheaper than buying at a newsstand, and but you have to wait longer, and that was kind of the trade-off. But now you're waiting longer and you're paying more. Like, how does that even make sense? Anyways, that's a topic for another day. Uh, the other books I didn't look at were Supergirl eighteen. Uh, I was enjoying this, and then it became part of the Hell on Earth storyline, and now I have no real interest in getting back caught back up because I don't really care about that storyline, and I feel like if I don't at least have a working knowledge of it or at least try and read it, then I really shouldn't bother trying to move forward with Supergirl. Uh, Sword of Sorcery number six, it's about over. This might even be the last issue. It's unfortunate, but I did fall off the wagon a few issues ago. Uh, Wolverine Max number five, and Wonder Woman 18. Um, I had been reading Wonder Woman, but I got a few issue, uh, pages into this issue, and I'm just like, you know what? Don't really care. Count me out. So, that is, uh, that is our episode. As I said, there's a lot of books that came out this week, but um, I actually was able to get a lot of them reviewed for the, for the show, so... Uh, I'm glad that I was able to do that. So thanks again for joining us. This is episode number 63. You can tell I do this all in one take, by the way. This is episode 63 of Comic Shenanigans. It was comic reviews for the week of March 20th. Um, Coming up on on Wednesday, we'll have episode 64. Not quite sure what that episode is going to be about yet. Uh, It might be about a a couple of things. It basically depends on the availability of my special co-hosts. But... uh, if you want to get in contact with me, you can contact us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can let us know what you like about the show, any feedback, etc. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook. Uh, we're also, we usually put all the links up for the episodes on HC Realm, so uh, people have been putting comments there. I love reading comments there. I like interacting with people. And uh, basically to know, first of all, that I'm not in a vacuum and that people are listening to the show, enjoying the show. And I like to know what you like about the show and or what you like about certain episodes, and I like to interact that way. Uh, I find that that's part of the thing I like about doing the show is, is knowing that people are enjoying it. Um, so I appreciate that, especially because recently people have been letting me know that they like the review episodes, etc. So I, that, I can't tell you how much that means. It's uh, good to know that people are listening and you're not just talking into a microphone and putting it up and that's it. <laughs> it's nice to know that someone's listening out there. So, uh, and one thing I also wanted to mention is that we are working on getting an app for Android phones for comic shenanigans, but right now, uh, you can definitely get something for your, uh, iPod or your iPhone. Go to comicshenanigans.podbean.com slash mobile, and you can add it to your quick launch, or you can add it to your uh, home screen, I guess. I forget the exact terminology. Obviously, I'm not a web developer by any stretch of the imagination, um, but you can do that, and, uh, you can, then you can have it on your iPod or your iPhone. So thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time for Comic Shenanigans. This is Adam Chapman, signing off. Bye-bye.